0: Uh, 538 gonna like lay a line
1: on nuclear war you know it's it's pretty frightening if you go read the history of this
0: i feel like nuclear war is a hot topic
1: and i think I may be naive about kind of the, the long-term risk
0: I'm talking about these like grand like doomsday scenarios things can get out of control well that makes me feel better about my business pursuit. What's up, guys? Today we've got someone who started off in poker, crushed that, but then moved on to do much bigger things, as it turns out. He's been called a spreadsheet psychic, a number crunching prodigy, and he's allegedly shaken up the world of political polling. Um, He's founded 538.com. He's also written, he's co-authored many books uh, and become well known for his. Uh, opinions on sports and politics. Nate Silver, uh, what's going on? Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. So I'm call good. you
1: Dan or Daniel or Jungle or I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure at this point.
0: Uh, you can call me whatever. I okay. Uh, okay. I don't mind. I have many nicknames at this <laughs> point. <laughs> um. So um. One one interesting thing is you play the game of poker in the sense of there's only so many like really great ways to to have like um, to like have used poker. There's like a few different great ways to do it. Uh, you know, I went a totally different route from you, but I understand you got in and then you saw that the games were could easily with just like a few differences become much worse. And then uh, you got out of like once that just happened. You were like, "Bye, this is enough for this. I don't want to like compete with when uh, things get tough." And it has something to do with the Pareto principle, where basically all the profits go to uh, or all the losses come from like a few the biggest whales, uh, and the top people are always okay. But like if you take away the biggest whales, you know now things get a little dicey. Um, I read your book, by the way, in case you you didn't know. Cool, Very I
1: appreciate it. Yeah,
0: the signal and the noise uh it's uh yeah i i I liked it a lot thank you Um, yeah i'm a little like it was actually very astute i think you even did this when you're in your 20s i'm really uh do you want to talk about that like how do you know
1: to do that so so yeah i had a um i went to university of chicago graduated got a management consulting job that i kind of uh really did not like very much at all. I spent a lot of my time, I was in my early 20s, I was going out and, I don't know, hanging out with friends a lot, I guess partying a lot, I guess you'd say. Um, At some point, a friend wanted to start a home poker game and having played a bit in college, I started studying more seriously, uh, eventually deposited, there was some like free, Pacific Poker, I think was the site, I'm really dating myself here, right, but it was like, you get $100 free, you should have to play through, so like, I played through that, uh, won money, lost money, eventually, like, deposited, like, 100 bucks of my own. And, like, I've always been up in my poker career since then, I guess, where I was playing Limit Hold'em. The games back then were very beatable. I'm sure I ran, like, super duper well, too. Um, Mm -hmm. But for a couple of years, yeah, my main income stream was playing mostly party poker Limit Hold'em games, which was kind of the big thing back then, you know, 1530 up through 100, 200, Um I think objectively I was probably not all that skilled. You know, I would go to two plus two forums and like review hands. So like I wasn't thinking about like theory. It was all it was all exploits. People were much too conservative back then, right? They weren't value betting enough, weren't bluffing enough, weren't uh and limit hold'em is a game where like it's super aggro. Um So, a style where you, like, put a lot of bets in, bluff a little bit, don't fold very much, uh, pound people for value, works, I think, pretty well, even kind of a blunt force approach to it. But, yeah, so did that for about uh, two and a half years. And then in October 2016, the UIGEA passed. So, this is, like, excuse me, October 2006. So, this is, like, two years before Black Friday. But Party Poker shut down to american customers um several other sites shut down uh at at the same time this is about when the transition from limit hold'em to no limit really got going right so like the games are drying up pretty fast the fishiest players in the player pool are the most likely to uh not find ways to get their money in when it becomes more cumbersome um so i went from having a pretty good win rate to like over six months, uh, losing money or breaking even at best, and then kind of and then quit. Um, wound up finding founding five thirty eight shortly thereafter. But yeah, I mean, uh, it went from like an ATM to like an endless source of frustration pretty <laughs> fast. I think if I'd been more studious, I would have learned No Limit or tried to be more GTO or something. But like, yeah, it was it was free money until it wasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, poker can be like that. It's, it can feel the easiest thing ever, and then, like, just subtly... I've had a few experiences like that. I've had the opposite happen, too, in some strange ways. Uh, specifically when I started studying Sims, uh, I had the opposite happen. I was, frust- I, was, uh, it, I was actually a bit of a freak run. I remember in 2015, I couldn't win to save my life. And then uh, I studied the Sims, and then for, like, 200 hours, and then all of a sudden just started... Annihilating, out of the blue, it was, it was very strange. I mean, I, I talked to you a little bit about a little bit about this, about like strange runs and things like that. I've had quite a few of them, but we'll we'll see if that's a good topic for later. Um, it sounded like you were doing baseball sports betting as well around that time. That seems to be a big interest of yours. Um, is that right?
1: I, so I worked at the same time for a company called Baseball Prospectus, which is still around, and yeah, um, built projection systems for them uh (laughs) other analysis in general so yeah I'm a big sports guy I'm not really like a big sports better I probably should have been right um I think sports betting is like um well I don't know to actually be like a winning sports better as opposed to now and then I mean I think like I can probably like have enough until just like be break even-ish and have some fun with it right um I've never quite invested the time into, like, actually trying to beat sports betting. Um, I probably could have, like, back 15 years ago when we had our forecast models. I think they tended to do pretty well against, like, Vegas over-unders. But, like, I don't know. I think sports betting requires relatively full-time dedication, as poker probably does, too. Right. Right? But, like, poker, at least there's, like, there's more of a cumulative effect. Right. Where, yeah. like,
0: I, I actually should say poker doesn't. I should I should say I'm doing sort of, I'm trying to apply the Pareto principle to poker and a bunch of things, in that most of the money profit actually comes from like 20% of the games, you could yeah. say. And uh, I want to do other stuff myself, like have a podcast. Uh, maybe sports is like that. I don't know. I'm never really sports betted.
1: I, I, I don't know for sure. It's just like, uh, I put it like this: If I were serious about trying to make money at sports betting, I would invest a lot more time, <laughs> oh, you okay. know, right. As opposed to okay, here are a couple of sharp models, and you shop around for a good line, and now and then, like I, my guess is I'm somewhere break even or break even plus 0.5 percent or something, right? But like clearly, I'm not like investing the time or energy to like actually, actually be. Highly proficient. It's just kind of it's just kind of fun for relatively small amounts of money.
0: Okay, so what is it about um, baseball that attracted you so much? Why, yeah, why baseball? First of all, I mean, somehow this got into like weather and what it was it, earthquake prediction, and uh, yeah, po- well, so
1: a, a couple of reasons. One is just uh, so this is like you know ten or fifteen years ago. Back then, the other sports weren't very analytically driven, right? Now, all the NBA teams have, like, Cisco analysts. All the hockey teams have them, right? Um, okay. Baseball is kind of like the Moneyball era, way ahead of the curve. But also, like, I had grown up a big baseball fan. I was um, six years old when the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. I usually wear a Tigers cap. It's lost. I'm wearing a Yankees cap today. Um, but, yeah, it was just kind of like a, a childhood thing and, like, always loving math and loving numbers. When I was, like uh, – 11 my friend and i started playing like fantasy baseball and like would dominate like dominate the adults right so we started doing it for those reasons um but no it just kind of it just was like a lifelong passion basically i mean right now i I watch less baseball than other sports i kind of agree with the critique that baseball has become hard to watch uh everything is a strikeout or a walk or a home run right there aren't as many balls in play they're trying to fix that now but like but growing up, baseball is like, my favorite sport. Why, and it was the most, like, is, numbers.
0: Why has it become like that?
1: Um, I think teams have figured out that, uh, just employing, like, a lot of relief pitchers who throw really fast, uh, oh. and kind of literally, like, swinging for the fences, right? So, like, yeah. baseball, I mean, it's base, right? It's a game where you're on the bases and base hits. Like, that's fun, right? Uh, stolen bases are fun. Doubles and triples are fun, Right. Uh, home runs are fun in doses, but like it's, it's become, I mean, people blame like quote unquote analytics for it, but it's like, this is like the right strategy for the game. And like, it doesn't make for a particularly attractive product. And like, it's, it's not the analytics fault. It's like, well tweak the rules then, you know, people are going to, in any system are going to adapt to the rules and figure them out when you have a competitive market. Right. Um, and baseball is making a bunch of changes now. They're implementing like a pitch clock for next year. I think most of those are, are positive. Um, but yeah, people figure out, like, this is, like, the GTO strategy in baseball happens to be a, like, super, like, boring strategy.
0: Uh, Oh, well, that's unfortunate. I mean, it doesn't sound that boring in a sense to either go big or go home. It sounds like that's the the new baseball strategy in a sense. It's kind of funny to think, like, either strike out completely or, uh. Or like hit a home well hit really big. That, am I reading that right? I think that's right.
1: I mean, look, look, it's not. Yeah, it's like not terrible by any means, right? I mean, I'll probably go to like a couple of Mets playoffs games this weekend or something, right? I'm not like anti baseball, but um, okay. but at, at the margin, and also there are a lot of ways to spend three hours these days, right? Um, I think baseball requires like a lot of a lot of investment, um, as opposed to like football, where it's like okay. 17 cold Sundays in winter you watch football for a few hours like that's a much lower barrier to entry than like than being like baseball 162 games deep rosters and and so forth
0: oh okay okay um and uh oh yeah one thing I have to ask uh, even though I'm not a baseball fan but I have heard about this is uh who's the real home run king this guy uh, Aaron judge <laughs> um, at 62 I, I believe he what he Allegedly doesn't use steroids, or this dude Barry Bonds, who did use steroids at seventy three, and uh, I, I know you wrote an article about him. About it's actually something uh, more than just just a master.
1: What's what's up with that? I think it's someone else on my site that wrote the article, but yeah. So sure. Aaron Judge has the most home runs of anyone who is not credibly suspected of using steroids. Um, oh really? Okay. Which you can debate, like, you know, who knows who knows is using steroids, by the way? Maybe we'll find out in 20 years that Aaron Judge was using steroids, too. I tend not to think so, but, like, but we don't know. But, like, um, I mean, baseball people tend to be pretty precious about the history of the game. And it kind of makes sense, right? It's like, okay, well, these guys cheated. Aaron Judge, we think, didn't cheat. Um, I think the problem is that there's, like, not that clear a delineation between uh, – What constitutes cheating and what doesn't right players in the day used to use like amphetamines uh and throw spitballs and you know when Mm -hmm. babe ruth was playing there like weren't any like black players in the game which is a big you know makes things a lot easier i mean so it's it's um i think the like smart sports fan attitude is that like you can't draw clear lines between what constitutes ethical behavior and what doesn't so maybe therefore everything goes. I don't know. It's But maybe it isn't. Maybe you have to draw some arbitrary lines, and sometimes, like, arbitrary lines are are better than no lines at all, potentially, right? Um, so, yeah, a lot of, like, man-on-the-street baseball fans be like, this is a legitimate home run record because everyone else cheated. Um, I would say, you know, who cheated and who doesn't is a little bit more ambiguous than than you might think.
0: Oh, I did not know that. I I know that certain sports uh, don't have steroid use such as gymnastics for some reason. And then some just have it's just like totally rampant such as uh uh in bodybuilding if you call it a sport. Like I know in pro I, I-, I wonder about football or American football also. I would just think like if it's like optional, like everyone's doing it, is my personal guess, just because I mean, there's just so much on the line and steroids is just such a massive edge. Yeah, no,
1: it's again, you know, like American football, guys use steroids get suspended all the time and like nobody really bats an eyelash at it. I mean, this kind of has parallels with like um with like where cheating scandals in chess and poker and like fishing and everything now, right? If there are market incentives to cheat, there are people, I think, in any one of those domains who are like ethically against it and won't, right? But like if there is a market incentive to cheat and there's not enforcement, then like the market's pretty efficient. People will will pay the price of cheating or pay the way to avoid detection or or take the risk. And it's as true in baseball as any other any other field. But no, like Barry Bonds is probably rational to like to take steroids, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean it's
0: like, it can definitely be rational. And if you look at things from a very limited perspective, to cheat I actually. There's a related topic to that that I want to talk a bit about, um, because, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll see if that's one that piques your interest. It's more about the whole grand theme of the signal and the noise and what it really yeah. means and that kind of stuff. But, uh, the, the cool thing about the, 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 idea of the signal and the noise in the book is that it just like, there's so many parallels to it, um, you know, like it's not just poker. It's like literally, what is the truth, and what do you, what do you find it? What's all the nonsense out there? Uh, it, I don't really understand the jump from baseball to earthquakes and weather. It sounded like <laughs> maybe you got bored and it was like, "Oh, let's try something a little tougher. Let's figure out weather <laughs> and politics uh, and all these like things that have tons of variants and just don't converge nearly as fast. Uh, don't have a, <laughs> as strong as of a, of a feedback loop."
1: I mean, so part of that was, like, I'm talking to people in other domains that involve prediction or forecasting. So, yeah, I, I don't know how to forecast the weather myself. Uh, I look at my apps. Um, no. But the weather forecasters are are pretty smart, right? They're, like, most, like, ex, like, Air Force people. They're very they're very yeah. good. Like, people make fun, like, not like the I expect- goofy TV meteorologist, right? Because the TV meteorologist is, like, some airhead, right, who they hire for good looks, basically. But, like, the hardcore, like, yeah. NOAA federal government people or, like, AccuWeather people who, like, actually build their models um, are pretty good, in part because the models are, like, driven by physics, right? It's not just, like, oh, let's kind of solve some regression analysis. It's, like, uh, we actually, like, have a good model of how the atmosphere works, and we just need accurate data, and we can kind of do, like, differential equations. So so it's, it's pretty cool. People, like, now... Look at their weather forecast and like make plans based on it, take that for granted. Like, that was not true 30 years ago. 30 years ago, the weather forecast was like not much better than like random, right? Um, it's improved a a ton, and those guys are smart and women, I should say, too.
0: That's uh, interesting. That was just, I I remember reading it was like totally unpredictable. Um, I didn't know it was like totally random, I didn't know come that far. Well, I
1: mean, it's like a slightly. Although, like, they do cheat, though. Like, the local TV meteorologists exaggerate how much rain they will be. There will be, it's called a wet bias, because uh, they think you'll get mad at them if it rains when they say it won't, right? Oh, Whereas that's if, so funny. they say it's going to rain, yeah, and it doesn't rain, you're like, oh, it's it's nice, what an unexpected bonus, right? But, like, so their incentives are also shaped by, by the market.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a weird one. Like, I, if... I wonder if there's any, like, solution to that that doesn't involve lying. Um, I mean, are there other similar sorts of parallels in, like, politics and sports?
1: I mean, there's uh, there's lots of stuff, right? Like, uh, you know, men exaggerate their height by three inches on in online dating profiles, in part because everyone else does it, so you have to. I mean, I feel like with... Um... Oh,
0: that's, that's an interesting topic, by the way. That's that that yeah. you just alluded to, because that alludes to a very <laughs> big theme that's going on.
1: Um, COVID, it feels like people had to let me be careful what I'm saying, right? I think people always felt like they had to give like the most extreme version of their case, whether it's pro-COVID precautions or anti-whatever else, right? Because like people know that they'll discount what you say by X percent, so therefore they exaggerate by you know one over X percent to try to get you to the right place, and I think that. Uh, I think it's an unhealthy, like, long-term equilibrium. I think people in general are, like, much too short-term focused when they're communicating risk and uncertainty, right? They don't realize that, like, it actually is kind of like a a long game and that people will uh, adjust their expectations if they've been misled before. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, that's that's called sabotaging trust, right? I mean, like, if you know someone's yeah. going to exaggerate, you're like, well, what the fuck does it mean when... They say something, you're just or if the, they keep if they change their story or something, you, you can't believe their story. It's like the girl who called uh, cried wolf, I think is the name of it. Um, yeah, no if... I mean
1: you know the friend the friend who says they're gonna be five minutes late and you know five minutes means half an hour, right? that's just you you adjust to that, right? and you build it in your expectations, and that's fine. but like, um but when like the federal government is communicating something. Uh, or an expert in some field or another, I mean, I, I think being precise and accurate is is pretty important, especially for something like COVID, where like it's been with us now for like three years. You know, people are, have adapted to misleading messaging.
0: Well, yeah, I, I actually had somewhat of the same thought in that it occurred to me that, uh, well, it occurred to me that uh, things like lying and stuff Um, And actually all sorts of like, I mean, I personally think, but it's hard to prove that all uh, unethical um, ways of dealing with things or less healthy ways is actually, I would say the more more precise way. It's like, why say you're going to be 30 minutes late and have someone adjust and just be like, I'm going to be, or why say you're going to be five minutes when you can just say, I'm going to be 30 minutes late and then they don't have to adjust to your like lack of, uh, you know, respect for their time. Uh yeah, uh yeah
1: i don't know yeah it's that's a, like i don't know what people are trying to accomplish with the saying five minutes right i mean you get getting these perverse things where like also like <laughs> if i'm trying to decide between lyft and uber when to which to get to newark airport faster right i mean the one that like lies to me probably is going to get my business and so it becomes it becomes pretty perverse i think they should incorporate like uh sports betting apps in the rideshare apps, right. Where you can like bet on whether your ride will be there at the expected time <laughs> or not. Right. And, and derive a profit from that potentially.
0: Oh, that'd but, be really yeah. interesting. Well, they could do that for all businesses really because uh, I mean like all these things can be like looked at that way. Like you can look at like Apple and like say, why, why do they keep giving these stupid updates or why are their AirPods so expensive? And by the way, there's cheaper AirPods uh, that are, work better than them i found them finally but there's also ones that work fine um that don't cost 200 so that's cool uh i had the same thought by the way of like well more precisely my thought was is there a correction for all these like cute little tricks that these businesses use um i think there is because like at some point you realize these uh, companies lie to you and you stop buying from them or you buy from someone else who's like we're going to be honest. I mean, I don't really know. This is just what I think happens, that they're honest and they're clearly more trustworthy. And then, like, actually what happens is, in fact, a bit of the reverse, which I suspect is, uh, you know, the the customers uh, slowly fade off, um, and it's kind of, it's like, sneakily done and a little bit unpredictable, And I would think. I don't know if it's predictable or not that uh, Apple or whoever loses customers based off of, like, Things like that, because of their competition, unless they're like keeping up uh, close attention to their competition. But it's actually, I, I noticed that the correction probably does look a lot like the uh, the um, what what do you say the 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 tricky thing in the first place, the the tricky move in the first place, like the reverse of it, um, which I thought found to be uh, kind of compelling. Um, do you agree with me, or what? Are, what are your thoughts on these kind of like these general trends of deceptions and things like that?
1: I mean, I was talking with a friend yesterday who was in uh, the fashion industry, of all things, right? And she was talking about how, like, all the very, very prestigious brands in fashion are, like, not American. A lot of them are, like, Italian or, or French, right? And, like, high-end, like, luxury fashion. Um, hmm. And she thinks it's because, like, you know, in the U.S., you have uh venture capital who want... return on investment very quickly they're not protecting the long term of the brand and the fact that like um that europe is more about the technique and the long term and the family-run businesses right um it's not for every industry but like being very protective of your brand with a very long-term focus um actually can like pay off in terms of high upside sometimes i guess apple is like not the best counter example because they are pretty protective of their brand in some respects um But you know, I think like kind of short-term short-termism is is often detrimental to people's long-term best interests. Even like applying a discount rate, right? Um, Say I care less about what happens in the future than what happens currently. I think people like even when you apply that, I think people uh, have time horizons that are sometimes like irrationally short.
0: Okay. Uh, do you think the the short termism sorts of strategies are are often or always bad in the long run? Um, that's what I personally wondered myself. Maybe you've looked at a lot of details and some. I don't. Is that a topic that interests you?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I have like a general take apart from like um, people are impatient, right? And like, I mean, but look at people's incentives. If you're investing in businesses. Um, you have a time horizon uh usually measured in years right you know venture capital has above average returns in part because they have like a longer time horizon they can be thinking 10 or 20 years out instead of three to five years out and so they do get at least the more stronger firms get like very high return on investment so i mean in general like um you know probably goes to like i don't mean to give personal advice right i'm not sure if i'm that long-term focused and like Personal stuff, but like playing playing the long game, I think, is a pretty reliable heuristic across a pretty wide range of of domains.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 definitely for sure. I mean, this this topic uh, I, I want to take to somewhere like pretty spicy. That um, I'm not sure if it's exactly your topic, but we'll get back to that. I want to talk a bit about more about uh, politics, um, especially. Uh, i forget what it was exactly that i wanted to ask but uh what uh did you ever like decide find a way to make any money off of paul oh covid that's what <laughs> covid yeah yeah i know that you think um, you think covid uh people are the governments are basically doing a stupid job with covid do you agree with that or what are your thoughts now is this like is something that you think we got to just squash down on or
1: uh yeah over. i think the governments are doing it i mean i think i mean there are like there's a very long-winded critique i would give but to keep the theme consistent like for what's happening right now like the u.s government has chosen to invest like no money in future pandemic preparedness right um That's so weird. whereas like it's insane It's totally insane. And, like, if you try to project out what the cost is of COVID, measure in terms of loss of life, loss of economic productivity, loss of joy in life, right, from being shut in, illness. Yeah. All that stuff, right? The cost is enormous. (laughs) And, like, you basically are getting, like, 10x your investment for any dollar spent on pandemic preparedness. And we're spending zero on that, right? It's, like, it's totally insane Um, and reflects the lack of long-term thinking reflects a lack of like clear thinking at all i mean i think the problem in a nutshell is that like political partisanship right that oh i kind of align myself with the democratic party or the republican party um gives people a intellectual shortcut they don't have to think like critically or rigorously about stuff right you go to a party platform and you have a hundred different issues and they've which should, where well, your views should be uncorrelated, right? Your views on abortion and taxation and environmental regulation, like none of those should really be correlated, probably, right? It shouldn't um, be
0: bucketed, Is what do you mean? It shouldn't like it shouldn't be just like one side or the yeah. other, black or white.
1: Right, right. It's kind of insane to like to have your views on a hundred random issues be perfectly in line with one of the two political parties, right? And if you look at the theory okay. of like why parties form, it's not based on like in Europe you have at least parliamentary system so you have like five or six political parties you know i'm not like a socialist but like the socialists have like a coherent like worldview right or the green party or whatever else right in the yeah. u.s we smush it all down into two parties that are coalitional and they and they they don't have coherent platforms but people who um who are not accustomed to like thinking from first principles um will latch on to the party platforms as as a shortcut, right? I don't know what to think about abortion, so therefore I think this party is generally good, so therefore I'm going to adopt their position, right? COVID is an example where, um, like, I'm not sure it made sense that, like, Democrats were really the people that cracked down on COVID, right, and Republicans weren't, um, because in some ways, like, having kids not go to public schools is very damaging to, like, the kind of progressive worldview in which public education is very important right or like shutting down cities is i'm not sure from first principles a good idea for liberals who want people to live in like dense urban environments right you've had migration into the suburbs and so but you know but it became trump was downplaying COVID, but she was right for sure but then just everything else became a, a like reaction to that and co was an interesting case because like no one had any prior policy views on COVID. right i had zero views on pandemic policy until <laughs> until you start seeing, like, the hospitals fill up in Italy and then New York, right? The um, people became very impassioned about things based on, on uh, just reacting to who they thought the good people and the bad people were and not to, like, actually trying to, quote-unquote, objectively evaluate the policy.
0: Well, yeah, it seems like it's really hard to filter when everyone's just got an opinion and everyone's just, like, getting in there. Uh, it seems like it really... I mean, personally, I think it's really... Um, actually, before I give my opinion, I want to know your opinion. Let's just say for a moment, guess what, Nate Silver, you've just become the dictator of America, or whatever oh country. What are you <laughs> going to do about COVID? Uh,
1: I would invest a lot in next generation vaccines. Um, there's what's called pan-COVID vaccines, which means that any new variant of COVID, they could protect their vaccines that would, um, you'd use in your nasal cavity, so you'd like... Uh, spray them or snort them potentially. The reason that's good is that you get um, you get, I think it's called mucosal immunity, where that way you wouldn't transmit as much um, if you catch COVID in your nose, which is generally where it happens. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I'm taking a little out of turn here, but there are definitely like things with respect to next generation vaccines, things with respect to like ventilation. Um, Like if you have like well ventilated rooms, that reduces COVID by like some very large margin um and so it's kind of really probably worth the investment um so you know i'm a big technology guy right we can like technology our way out of this with relatively modest investments um that don't fall on people because people are clearly burned out people are are done we can debate whether it's rational or not right 95 percent of america is done taking any covid precautions whatsoever either five percent probably take too many precautions i know there are people who are in buckets where they mean a compromise right there are exceptions but like but like the people who like least need to take covid precautions the ones who are most taking them in general right um so Mm -hmm. i i don't want to rely on people like people who um there's not much mask wearing anymore right um but people who were vaccinated were much more likely to like Take masks or wear masks, stay at home during outbreaks, right? Even though they were at kind of lower risk, um, you know, in some cases, like younger people were more likely to be cautious than older people for COVID stuff because, like, they were more politically liberal than older people, even though younger people are, are at, like, much lower risk. But, like, basically, like, I am not willing to count on individuals, the public health system, for individuals to reduce their risk anymore. We should, like, really good vaccines that will not just protect against severe disease, but protect against transmission and like better, uh, heating, cooling ventilation systems that will just literally mean like there are fewer kind of COVID spreading in the air and that you can just do things in a way that's like, uh, safer in a more seamless way.
0: Okay. I didn't even think of that angle, but I'm not so educated on it. I have my own personal thoughts. Um, uh, I guess you could like strategically place uh, ventilation systems in all the places where there's lots of public, um, uh, what's the word? Like public travel, public mingling, that kind of thing, or like airports and
1: stuff like yeah, that. No, sure. uh, so it's like, so like airplanes. There is not a ton of COVID transmission relative to the fact that like you have 300 people packed in this, like sardine can. Right. And there's not because the air circulates really fast. Right. Um, You know, even the New York subway, which would seem like a COVID nightmare, the air circulates pretty fast. There's not, I'm sure there's some, but there's not a ton of transmission. So just, you know, making that investment where you're just going about your day and now COVID spreads like only half as well. Like that's the ROI on that is is likely to be very high.
0: Okay, Uh, what do you think about doing something like I mean, this was what, what I thought would have made sense, but I don't really know. I'm not qualified to answer and one thing uh i'm going to comment on being qualified also uh so what about like just create group herd immunity like basically say cuz it's kind of predictable who's really at risk it's the old people basically and the you know the people that have health issues and then whatever like it, people die from the flu too um so just like don't get rid of i mean not don't get rid of but Put uh, the old people in like shelters and like make sure they're taken care of, and then just like allow the life to continue, like basically just create a barrier between the people who are vulnerable and the people who aren't, and then create a herd immunity until the disease is wiped out. Is this not like a thing? this it, 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 it seemed like there was no effort. I mean, to this do was this
1: was like kind of like the Great Barrington strategy. <laughs> at first, um, I don't know if it's feasible to like isolate old people for like a year or something or uh or uh or if they want that and if it's morally acceptable i'm I'm not sure i mean i think like one thing you learn from poker is that there are um there are some spots that are like raise or fold spots right (laughs) where the passive action is the worst i think a lot of countries kind of like um like i'm not sure that i like love australia's covid strategy which closed the border for like Two years and had very strict quarantines when they had an outbreak but it's at least like a coherent strategy right it's saying we're trying to like actually minimize covid so that you can live large parts of the year undisrupted entirely right that's kind of a raise right whereas like sweden was very laissez-faire they're like uh okay we will try to avoid having like really large gatherings of dense people but otherwise people have to live their lives they can go to restaurants they can go uh, on public transit, they can go to work, right? Um, so live your life. You're going to have some, some problems, but it's hard to prevent anyway. So Sweden had a very like kind of fold strategy, right? Um, everyone else like kind of called and wound up kind of stuck in, in the middle, right? You know, most European countries took lots of precautions that disrupt people's lives, but had lots of death anyway because you have to like really be quite all in to actually prevent COVID in the long term. Um, and so, you know, sometimes the, the middle ground is, is the worst place to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. It's interesting that there is a poker analogy in this. Uh, I mean, one thing I did notice is that polarizations often have a a lot of use in a lot of situations, um, with regards to life, uh, self-development, things like that. Um, it is interesting that, that fold and raise for covid Did uh, did better than do nothing. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I suppose the ideal strategy would be do something super aggressively. Uh, I would presume. Is that right? And just like really, yeah. I mean,
1: if you can, if you could have stopped COVID to begin with. I mean, I mean, COVID has been really freaking awful, right? Like millions of people have died. There's some amount of long COVID that's also pretty bad. I mean, it's been terrible. If you could have prevented COVID from occurring at first, then that would have been extremely valuable. But people don't understand like some smart, right? cost very well and, and marginal impact and, and, and yeah. Yeah. Cause this is the thing, right? People who like people who say, I don't think it's worth taking X COVID precaution at this point. Like it's not minimizing COVID. It's just saying we are doing cost benefit analysis. And like at this point, the kind of cat or COVID molecules out of the bag, and to take costly stretches that have, at best, a marginal impact and may delay cases, you know, it's its too late at that point. But it doesn't mean that, like... I mean, it's scandalous that, like, <laughs> that the world didn't have better strategies for cracking down on COVID when it was containable in the very early stages, potentially.
0: Yeah, oh, that's definitely... I mean, that's the most obvious answer for sure. One thing um, on the... Well, one thing that you reminded me be able the raise and fold thing is that there are some city-states of sorts or, like, similar sorts of situations. Um, I think Singapore qualifies as a city-state that have these kinds of, like, very uh, firm lines that people um, have to follow. And it seems to work really well for the government. Um, and uh, it just made me think, like, maybe it's just, like, you just have to use razor fold a lot in a lot of these spots. Whereas, I mean, I think America with whatever's going on in America, for some reason, America is like one of the most, uh, has the most issues in a way, most like variations of toxicity.
1: Um, yeah, the U S is cool. interesting. I mean, I mean, our, our system is very, has a lot of veto points is the term used in politics, meaning like, even if you want to do something, we have so many different layers of government and checks and balances. That's like hard to do it. Um mm-hmm. it's a very pluralistic and diverse country. It's a very polarized country. It's it is interesting, right? The US has begun to have a big downturn in life expectancy relative to like European countries, right? Like the average American oh, like weird. lives like like five or six years less than the average like weird. people in a wealthy European country. Even though okay. our economy there are lots of theories ranging from um Cars and guns, right? <laughs> uh, to the health system. <laughs> kind
0: of, what's going on in the streets?
1: <laughs> no, we we have a lot of guns in America. We have lots of we're far apart. We have lots of cars, right? People die in driving accidents, you know, people people drink and smoke, although not as much as Europe, I don't think we're smoking rates, right? No, it, it's not a totally solved problem. I mean, one way to put it is like Americans are more risk taking than I mean. Yeah. Europeans, right? We have more it's inequality tough, yeah. and so people on the lower. I mean, I think I think for sh- I mean, didn't, I'm not sure if this was like always true. It's like not true in poker ironically where like the Europeans are crazy and Americans are kind of nitty. Um yeah. but, you know, America has always been a place. It's very entrepreneurial. It's historically been friendly to immigrants, right? You move here and you and you uh take a risk and found a business, right? Um it's always been kind of part of our spirit. I mean, poker is an American game, origin-wise. Even though it's now played everywhere, um, the kind of frontier mentality is still with us, and that has benefits and costs, right? We have an economy that has uh, continued to grow, uh, despite lots of hiccups, faster than like Europe. But our life expectancy is declining, and that's kind of it's kind of disturbing. <laughs> People are living less. It seems like it seems not great.
0: That is interesting. I wonder why that is. Although it's not. It wouldn't be something that's my focus, uh, exactly. There's too many things to focus on as part of the issue. Uh let's uh let's talk about well, one thing that I think for all that seems really obvious for these political systems is I don't really know why they give it feels like everyone should have the option to have the sh- say a say in things, but they should be able to, to have to prove themselves. You know what I mean? Because like why should like Joe Schmo um, you know, have like I mean, I can see there's, there's issues of incentives, but like, Joe Schmo doesn't know anything about really what's good for the country. Uh, like Joe Schmo doesn't know anything about like healthcare policy. Well, maybe a little bit about healthcare, but like other kinds of policies that will affect the country long term that are quite complicated. Um, and like, like, do does does uh you know Susan uh the other the the female Joe Schmo. Uh, really want Joe Schmo like Jill voting Schmo, yeah. on her policies? Like, I don't think so. Especially with what's going on now, I would think that like something like a republic, as suggested from, a, I think Socrates was the one who suggested a republic kind of system, um, was more appropriate for governments. Yeah, I mean,
1: the problem is that. I don't, I don't trust anybody really. I I don't trust Joe Schmo, but I also don't <laughs> trust. Dr. Joe Schmo, who has all these credentials, right? I mean, I think experts have failed us in foreign policy like the Iraq war. And I, I think the performance of expert agencies during COVID was generally not very good, right? And so um, democracy is maybe more robust to some types of failures. It'll fuck up a lot, right? Um, but yeah. you have some type of knowledge base in the population that's to some degree like market driven um, I don't know I mean uh, there are obviously like small you know Singapore is country that's thought to be very well governed for example in exchange for a loss of freedom maybe I'm not willing to tolerate that loss of freedom um, but like it's hard for like pluralistic societies to to work without some type of democratic apparatus I think right you couldn't right. have India governed the way Singapore is for example
0: okay Okay, that's interesting. That's, like, kind of necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, the governing of city-states and smaller countries is not at all the same as these, like, bigger places. Although there's some, um, there's some, uh, I forget what I was gonna say. I mean, there's gotta be some point where things start to turn, essentially. Um, like, definitely in the past, well, in the past, uh, like, there's a major difference between groups of 80 humans, um, well, not humans, but, uh, what was it uh yeah maybe humans um because this was like a big the, the groups of uh, neanderthals couldn't like actually build groups larger than 80 and then homo sapiens could uh for some strange reason this like made like all the difference but like apparently like chieftains were really limited in the past uh i read an interesting book on that called uh, non zero
1: yeah, I think there are maybe some nonlinearities about different group sizes and when people can have like personal relationships with every other member of the group. Um, but I don't, I don't know what those thresholds are <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I should probably read that book.
0: Yeah, me neither. Um, maybe you'd like that book. It's not that mathematical, but I do want to talk about some ideas from it. But first, uh, I think we have to, if we're going to talk about politics, we have to talk about Trump a little bit because uh, I, I understand uh, that even surprised you. Like what's up with that? And
1: uh, um, well, yeah. I'd say in the in the general election in 2016, we were on the right side of the market. We had Trump with the 29 or 30 percent chance, and like the market was at like 15. So for us, you would have bet big on Trump, and because I think like a gambler, like to me, that was a a successful, good forecast. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I expected Trump way back, zooming back to 2015 i don't think i expected trump to like take over the republican party and in some ways i think i wasn't like cynical enough about the republican party and about (laughs) american politics right i think i had naive ideas about um oh people kind of are good at heart and they kind of pick out their issues and yeah they get a little out of line sometimes you know but no i mean trump like making very base appeals to you know, anti immigrant sentiments and, and populism and sometimes racial sentiments, right? Um you know, that's always been a part of politics and I I think I was just kind of dumb and and uh naive to not recognize <laughs> recognize that. That there's been like an eternal appeal to like populism and <laughs> and this is the way politics works in many parts of the world for much of human history.
0: You never thought of like <laughs> the the uh the chances like racist politics. politics is well, no, but actually, you grow up
1: and you're like, and also, I'm sure it's easier if you're, like, white, like I am, right? But you grow up and you're like, oh, we elected Obama, right? It wasn't like, oh, America has solved all its problems with racism, and racism is, like, the animating theme in a lot of American politics, right? Um, yeah. But it felt like, True. you know, if you kind of grow up and you see the Cold War, I was born in 1978, so I'm 44, right? I think I'm just old enough where you kind of have this, like, Window where it seems like progress is made, right? Communism is defeated, and then we're in this kind of post-communist era, right? You're you're a little younger than me, right? And so that seems naive. Um, you're like, oh, this is the good thing. The good the trajectory of history is like toward improvement. And then when I'm how old? I guess 23. September 11th happens. You're like, oh, that was pretty bad, right? Uh, <laughs> and then kind of shit goes bad. But you're but you're the baseline expectation for someone born kind of late gen X or early millennial on the fringe is that like society is making progress electing uh, Barack Obama president is a sign of this progress right and then and then I think that made me naive and people of my age group naive but me especially about like about Trump
0: well it made me naive <laughs> too I lost um I bet two to over two to one that he would not get elected. Um, and then I, uh, I, I remember getting off a plane and just waking up and just like looking at the, the polls and just having like a, like an, it, it was like a mini nightmare. Like I can not believe that I lost like a friend was telling me it's a sure thing. He's not going to get elected. And I had a, I had a friend that bet at late odds of 50 to one that, uh, Trump would not get elected.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, I mean, th- there was like. A lot of misinterpretation, right? The polls in that race in twenty sixteen were were pretty close, and Clinton was saver. But like people, it was kind of crazy. It would, it would be like um, tuning on a football game, and the Patriots lead the Dolphins twenty one to seventeen with a quarter left to play, and people saying, "Oh, there's no way the Dolphins can win." It's like, oh, it's just like insane, right? It didn't make it didn't make sense. <laughs>
0: i do like the things that don't seem like they make sense uh even though uh i'm not a trump supporter So it turns out uh i ran it back actually i bet against him again and i i wish that i didn't um but i did happy to have won that bet um after i did it i wish that i didn't run it back because i delay odds again um yeah so you never know. It just feels like all these impossible things happen way more often than you think they will. Is is impossible. Thing. I,
1: th- well, I think it's it? kind, of, kind of generally true, right? Like in general, like one thing of signal in the noise is that most predictions are, are overconfident, right? So if you're totally naive and some expert says, Oh, there's a 95% chance that thing X will happen. you probably knowing nothing else. When to discount that by some, <laughs> by some amount, right? And this gets yeah. complicated. Um, like how do you forecast the risk of like a nuclear war occurring?
0: Oh you know that leads Ukraine, us to the Ukraine, right? One of our next yeah. topics are is <laughs> is uh, five thirty eight gonna like lay a line on nuclear war? <laughs> like are there any Trump threats <laughs> going on? Uh yeah. so
1: I mean there is if you are interested in this, there is a post on the effective altruism forum hmm. where they just ask a bunch of like smart people what the chances are and average them out, which On the one hand, it's not very scientific, but I I generally think, like, making people put, like, a number on things is usually better than than not doing it, right? And I think in steps, like, what's the step that Putin uses a nuclear weapon in Ukraine and then different steps of, like, escalation and try to figure out what's the chance that, like, actually London gets hit by a nuclear weapon? I mean, we're kind of so used to, like, thinking about – I don't know, like, but like, that's relevant, right? Like, there might be a point at which, um, if I thought there was an acute risk, I would not want to be living in the middle of Manhattan, <laughs> where I do, right? Uh, I certainly don't think we're at that point now, but like, people kind of resist thinking about these things in a specific way, and it just kind of leads to like a lot of, a lot of fuzzy-headedness, you know? Oh yeah. If this risk of nuclear oh, yeah. war becomes tangible, then so this model estimates, or it's not model; it's a group of forecasters estimate the chance of a nuclear strike in London over the next year and a half is being about 1 in 300, um, which to me is terrifyingly high. I assume New York is kind of pretty high compared to London. Um,
0: I think no although not is.
1: so high that, yeah, although not so high that I'm going to do anything about it, I guess. But there would be escalatory steps, right? Uh, it's not very likely that Putin would just launch a nuke on New York tomorrow, right? But things can get out of control once you have any nuclear weapon used you also have a higher risk of of accidents uh so things could happen unintentionally there have been way more near misses than people realized throughout the cold war where there were radar systems that were malfunctioning and people um fortunately had enough common sense to override the protocols but like the world is probably fairly lucky that we haven't had any nuclear Detonations used in warfare or even on accident since World War II, we're, we're probably we've faded like a lot of risk there, and I think it may be naive about kind of the, the long term risk. Uh,
0: naive in what? sense so about the long term risk?
1: I mean, if there's if there's a one percent chance of nuclear weapons use per year, like that is pretty consequential over the time frame of hopefully I live another forty years or something right like that's fairly consequential over the course of my lifespan or any child's lifespan or you know that has a pretty big effect as far as diminishment of human potential um now you can go read what's the likelihood that like a nuclear war would literally wipe out civilization there are different opinions on that it probably wouldn't literally kill everybody right um yeah, it's hard to but like But like a 1% risk per year and some people think it's lower, but it's probably higher right now for sure. I think it's got to be higher currently given the situation in Ukraine. Like that's a lot of risk to fade. Um, In the Cuban Missile Crisis, JFK, I think, estimated there was a 30% chance that we would have a nuclear war between Russia and the U.S., right? Not some one-off strike that might escalate. You'd have like a full-scale war in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, that, you know, that would have been like, you know, it's, it's pretty frightening if you go read the history of this. Hmm. No, I mean, I know it seems like a very old fashioned topic, like nuclear war, right? But like, um, I think people don't realize how, how lucky we've been in some ways. That's the consensus of like experts that I've, that I've talked to.
0: Oh, well, um, a, a couple things. I want to say, apparently this, I found interesting. I, I, um, there's a YouTube channel that, uh, I watched called Real Life Lore. I believe it explained why Putin's hand was kind of forced in uh, invading Ukraine. Like it was actually quite a logical decision for him, but not one he wanted to make. Uh, uh, I don't really understand that very much. I might be even wrong, but um, I forget why. Uh, that's an interesting site for if you're interested or other other viewers. I uh, I'm curious why you say we've been very lucky though
1: if you look at the number of near misses where one additional thing had gone wrong and there were some type of intentional or unintentional nuclear use there are quite a few of those cases right so that's 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 one reason why i mean the other thing is like we haven't lived with weapons like these for um for very long right what is 1940 you know for 75 or 80 years or something right it's it's like not really like enough data to be very confident right if the risk is one percent per year um You know you wouldn't necessarily have to adjust from the prior that much given that we haven't had weapons that can like destroy uh so much of the world so quickly as we have right now right it's different Mm -hmm. from like pandemics right it's very unlikely that a pandemic that's um natural at least would wipe out all of civilization because we've lived with like infectious disease for the entire history of humanity right and we're here. And so that has, that we have thousands and thousands of years of history that kind of would be evidence against like
0: societal point. destruction
1: from a pandemic. Right? Of, but nuclear that. weapons we've only had for, for 70 some years. So if you like the stuff, the book uh, The Precipice by Toby Ord goes through different types of risks. A big one people are concerned about now is risk from artificial intelligence. That's a big rabbit hole that we may or may not want to get into. But like but that book is very thoughtful about thinking through these these existential risks, so-called.
0: Okay, um, yeah, I, I've got too many interests these days. Um, <laughs> I've got that weird problem. Uh, I want to uh, ask you a bit about uh, your new book. Uh, what is what is exactly that about? Um, how how is that related to poker and all these other things? Is, did nuclear war make the cut? Uh, I feel like nuclear war is a hot topic
1: yeah uh, so it's a, a book about gambling and risk and so there's basically like three parts to it and the first part is uh about like literal gambling so um poker and sports betting i've talked talked to you for the book talked to lots of great poker players sports bettors the second part's about um markets and investing so i'm talking to people uh who run venture capital firms i've talked to entrepreneurs i've talked to hedge fund people i've talked to people in crypto and art in real estate um and last part's about kind of risk in society at large that's where like the the nuclear war stuff (laughs) comes in and where discussion of covid comes in discussion of artificial intelligence because there are people there are people who think we're all going to die because computers will get really smart and kill us right um there are smart people who who think that and so um so trying to unpack that for people is, is part of the book, but like more to the point, it's also like you meet a certain type of person that's common across these different domains, right? Analytically inclined people tend to think a lot alike. They tend to have personality traits in common. Um, so it's trying to kind of unpack who that type of person is.
0: Um, are, uh, how... how do I ask this question? Like, how do you, uh, what kind of traits are we talking about? I know you made the distinction between foxy and I forget the other one in your hedgehog. uh, Yeah. Hedgehog. Oh yeah. Like Trump's a hedgehog Yeah, and you want to be more foxy when it comes to prediction and you want to like take your time and like sniff things out a little bit, uh, that sort of thing. What other traits are we talking about here? And what kind of, are you like aiming towards a specific demographic or?
1: I think it's like a cluster of, personality traits, right? I mean, I think a, a big one is, I mean, literally the term analytical analysis means to, like, dissect or to break down, right? So people who are yeah. good at this are good at, like, decompartmentalizing a problem. Let me let me give one example, right? Um, so just see that, like, Chick-fil-A, which makes chicken sandwiches that are pretty tasty, according to some people, um, had, like, very conservative politics, right? Their CEO was, like, anti-gay, and they... They still aren't like open on Sundays and very religious, right? So, like, they a lot well. of liberals really do. They do it well,
0: even though they're
1: yeah. And I wouldn't. A lot that. of they in the pandemic when you couldn't like do anything, right? Go to Chick Fil A, they were really organized. But that's an, but um. So if you're gonna compartmentalization or decoupling is a term that sometimes used, right? You can say things like, "I hate Chick Fil A's politics, but they make really good spicy chicken sandwiches," right? That's a mm-hmm. way to like break down the problem into components. Yes. A lot of people like aren't good at that, right? The oh, fact yeah, that yeah. like um, they don't like to play politics means they're incapable of, like quote-unquote, objectively judging the quality of their sandwiches, right? This happens in politics a lot, where there's this halo effect from, you know, so like, that type of kind of clarity of thinking, the ability to like think abstractly. Um, in poker, you have to think, okay, what if I play this situation that way? How does that affect my overall approach to the game, right? You're abstracting from a solver, you're trying to find the general principles involved. Like most people don't do that. They're very ad hoc. They solve one problem at a time. They don't care about consistency yeah. or hypocrisy. So so these traits are are somewhat unusual. Even being very like methodical about like- Players conf-
0: don't care about consistency and hypocrisy or the other way?
1: No, they, they do. They do. Yeah, relative oh, yeah, yeah. to like normal people, right?
0: Yeah, um, I saw you, you, you read my blog on that. I was flattered. Uh, oh, yeah. One, one thing, um, well, I'll let you go on first.
1: No, but like, I mean, but that type of brain is like, is unusual. And it's especially unusual relative to like, politics and journalistic and literature types who, um, who, it's not like if they're like not smart, it's just that there's like, applied analytical reasoning is a skill that, most people can get away with not using <laughs> right and you have to learn to use it if you're trying to like play poker or if you're trying to do other things right if you're trying to like make money in the markets you kind of usually have to have that skill set if you're running a small business you have to have that but there are other things too like you know people it's a cliche but like being cool under pressure and learning how to like use or not use your emotions and when they're helpful like that's a very important skill right it's oh, important sure. in but i've talked to people who are like like they're like explorers people who like climb mountains for a living or people who like run these very difficult small businesses right um where they're trying to stay afloat and like just being able to like be cool under pressure uh is a very important life skill that mm-hmm. is kind of very correlated with the ability to like take risks intelligently right like people sure. think that people who are risk-taking are like you know, Maverick and Top Gun, whether it's just like, oh, it's trusting my gut and throwing caution to the wind. It's like, no, the more, like, meticulous you are about being prepared, like, the more risk you can take in a successful way, right? Um, So that's my message of the book.
0: Okay. Well, that makes me feel better about my business pursuits of sorts or about my
1: other
0: (laughs) variations of risks. I never thought... I mean, I, I guess I never really thought about it, but I guess maybe uh, integrity and, you know, the opposite of a hypocrisy is, like, a really important skill for poker. It'd be interesting to qualify for that one, specifically in a business and in other areas. I mean, it's kind of weird, because I meet all these people, and it's just, I mean, I'm just looking at them, and I'm like, this person's, like, a raging hypocrite. Like, what the fuck? Um, and
1: Yeah, just, no, that's a that's a trait. I remember your blog post. Like, that hypocrisy bothers me. <laughs> Maybe more than it should. Um, well, it's really it's hard because, important, like,
0: I think, actually. I think hypocrisy yeah, is one of the worst traits.
1: It is. But uh, but if you are trained to, like, sniff out flaws in people's thinking, flaws in the market's approach, right, then, I mean, I think it kind of sometimes makes poker players, like, uh, like, not unpleasant people, but, like, you, you know, if you're in, I've been, like, in a long-term relationship, right, you have to like turn that off a little bit if you're like in a relationship, right? You you, you know, you don't wanna like have the first thought no, to be like, right. Oh, your partner has some projects. No, oh here's the true. here's the problem with that. It's that's hard to turn that's hard to turn off sometimes.
0: Uh oh. uh well I mean I've met people that are not that are constantly judging people. Uh it's I don't wanna specify too much, but they're constantly judging people <laughs> and they're never like what about me? Maybe I've got some problems, too. Um, For sure, and, uh, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like... I don't know how... I, I guess you could say anal- being analytical can be that problem. The irony is, like, I find... I mean, I I would presume you can, like, aim that, that uh, tendency in the opposite direction. You can say, oh, what about all the good things this person has? Like, usually the bad things are a reflection of the opposite. Uh, all, the, all the, like, errors, you know, you just invert them, and, like, that suggests the positive stuff. I would think, generally. Yeah, that probably be factor in how it like works together.
1: <laughs> they'll probably be much healthier, but I'm not sure that's the way that my <laughs> my brain works. Right? It, it kind of just looks for it looks for inconsistencies. Um, and like in politics, that will piss people like on Twitter, i will piss people off because I'm like I'm like looking for like the logical flaws in people's arguments, including people that I might agree with about oh, i most all things, time. and I yeah. and I just like can't like. I can't, like, shut up about it for too long, right? Like, the first time, looking away mm-hmm. with it, right? The second time, the third time, I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to be that guy who points out that you're totally full of shit and hypocritical about this point, right? Sometimes um, it's good. Sometimes
0: it's really important.
1: I think it is. Like, I think in the long run, it is good, right? I mean, I think it is, like, um, you know, people do better when they're capable of improvement. And yes, there is positive reinforcement that can produce improvement, but if there's no negative reinforcement right if there's no price to pay for like a hypocritical counterproductive political argument that will persuade people toward the wrong idea or that will persuade people away from a good idea like um you know i think one reason why our political parties are not very healthy um is because there's like not a lot of internal criticism if you're a democrat who criticizes other democrats then people get very mad about that and if a republican who criticizes trump you're like literally cast out of the party, right? Th- those are very unhealthy tendencies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you you got to pick your battles. Like, sometimes people's hands are tied, I presume. Especially in politics, it's like people are really handicapped. Um, it's almost like, yeah, it just seems like... Uh, I, I always thought there'd be it would be really interesting if there's some kind of, like... Mm, how do you say? Like, some kind of organized force that says, okay, these are the, the pinpoints of, of, like... Somehow that it's, like, led by rationality. It just says, okay, these are the problems with society. Let's just like strategically remove them and strategically make certain things better. I mean, the world's probably too complicated for that. But like, that seems like kind of a possibility, uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and,
1: and, and what is meant by rationality? It's a, another topic in the book. I mean, the definition of rationality is something that we could debate and talk about. Um, but even by the most kind of forgiving definitions of rationality, like, <laughs> that's tolerant of you know people having diff- different risk tolerances. For example, like we just mm-hmm. do many things that are like blatantly inconsistent and and irrational and counterproductive in and getting people, and especially oh, like sure. in yeah. in politics, right? Because like politics, is, like the opposite <laughs> of this in some ways, right? And I don't mean that in like a flip. Oh, you know, it's like it really cultivates unhealthy mental discipline and and poorly applied uh reasoning skills right it's all about confirmation bias it's all about um defending your team even if it means being hypocritical it's all about taking shortcuts um instead of and being ad hoc instead of being rigorous about analyzing things um so the more kind of people get obsessed with politics and everything gets i mean again i thought the stuff on like on covid the extent to which people were willing to like do a lot of harm to themselves (laughs) to the extent because their politics is you know if you are someone who is like you know i think everyone should have gotten their their first vaccines talk about boosters i think the boosters are a good benefit too but like everyone should have you know really reduced their risk of severe outcomes um for anyone above the age of 30 right by getting vaccinated but like people didn't if they believed in a certain political party right and likewise like There are people who still, like, are not living their life and anything that people would normally think of um, having a robust, healthy, like, social life. They're not many, but there are a few and many more people for for the first year or two of the pandemic, right? Like, that's a very costly thing if you're immunocompromised or you're in a special circumstance. I understand that, but a lot of people were just, like, not that. They were doing it as a political statement because they thought it was, like, virtuous to – stay at home and order DoorDash um, and not be one of those bad people who, oh my God, actually goes and experiences life around other people, which is like most of the good things in life <laughs> involve being in groups or crowds of people, right? And like the fact that people couldn't like, you know, couldn't see that this is a big trade-off maybe worth it if, you're, if you have an acute risk of death, yeah. But like people just uh, use partisan shortcuts as opposed to, to really thinking through problems.
0: Yeah, yeah. like that's a really hard problem to solve on the whole. Um oh, actually. Uh actually, actually. Um I mean it is incredibly frustrating also, but like I've been thinking about that a lot. Um this might be a topic that interests you for your book because you're talking about the you're talking about these like grand like doomsday scenarios. What about like kind of like the opposite? Because um one I think is super likely to happen. Um if you read the book Don Zero, and another one, I think, could happen if we survive long enough. Um, the first one would be um, a new world order, uh, which, I don't know, that's, this topic excites me. But if you look at, in this book, Non-Zero, basically, it's like, it. well, the, the idea of Non-Zero is really important. It's, um, it's a whole other topic of sorts, but basically, as you were suggesting earlier... That humanity is basically getting better and better. You can see it through the course of history. Like it started off as, like, these chieftains where the chiefs like abused the the people and they got all the girls and and just like had all the riches and it was like, uh, but they couldn't abuse them too hard. There was a limit to the abuse. It wasn't like all. It was hundred percent bad. Um, and then you know, like eventually the feudal states developed and then like you know there became serfdom. There, it, the serfdom came into being, and like it was better than being an chieftain. You could, uh, you could say that at least. And then, uh, you know, uh, then democracy came around and all these other ideas. Um, and it basically says, uh, that certain things in history are actually inevitabilities, like, like Aristotle, for example, like some person like Aristotle was going to happen. And there's other variations of Aristotle and things like that. Another... um, uh other like eras there's like a leonardo da vinci of sorts in, i forget his name but in india uh history is just an incredibly uh deep topic like things just get deeper and deeper it's crazy um but basically considers that a new world order is uh inevitable um and presumably that would be better uh you know crazy stuff might happen before that but that might be topic that would interest you the other one i'll just mention briefly because i want to hear your thoughts on that uh and um the other one is just uh the collective enlightenment which is gets in a really spicy territory um but let's start with the this idea that the world might actually unify
1: i mean so one of the things that i didn't realize until i started studying like economic history is how much um so much of human history was just totally miserable
0: um (laughs) there's very little
1: growth for for many 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 centuries and then all of a sudden uh exactly when it's stated and what it's attributed to um is a matter of some debate but the kind of industrial revolution (laughs) uh slash enlightenment some of the ingredients here seem to be capitalism and liberal democracy um you just hit an inflection point, and it's been a hockey stick ever since. If you project that forward, then there's huge amounts of growth ahead. Some people think that there's a lot of growth because of potential artificial intelligence, um, oh, yeah, and yeah. that could produce some singularity. I, I don't know what I think about that. But yeah, no, people have gotten, I think, um, I think people don't have a, a good sense for how much better life is now than it was, um, you know, than it was, 200 years ago, (laughs) or even 50 years ago. Although what is worrying is that we now, like, you know, life expectancy is one of those indicators that has almost always gone up. And the fact that life expectancy now in the U.S. is not going up, should be worrying. The fact that in Europe, the economy has not really grown very much for 20 years, that should be worrying, right? Um, Maybe the growth isn't so inevitable.
0: Uh, that is kind of weird. Uh, I mean, I could throw out theories for that, but I don't really know. This is not a subject that um, I'm very well-versed in, but there's, like, lots of... There's, like, some pretty big points of stress, you can say. Um, for, I mean, we get to that. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, you alluded to them before uh, a bit... I think you did, but basically in a lot of sectors, there's this like, because the world is becoming more globalized, there's this like, um, the effect of values or excuse me, virtues is, uh, becoming, I mean, um, what's her name? Liv Bowery talks about this quite a lot. She likes it. Uh, the effect of virtues is becoming less and less obvious compared to the growth of short-term gratification uh, and the growth of the number of toys essentially humanity can play with, and this is occurring in a lot of different fields, such as uh sexual economy um i mean toys meaning and toys is actually a good word for it in my opinion uh because men and women now objectify each other more and more than ever, but more there's more and more like hypothetical partners to play with toys uh and there's more and more, you know, video games, things like that, that can distract people from stuff that actually is beneficial for society, uh, and things like that. So that could be, I mean, I personally think that could have some really drastic negative effects. Uh, I wonder if like you look at any of that stuff in the math. Um, I mean, there's effects in agriculture, I believe, and other areas as well. But I don't really, I don't understand all the sectors so well. Do you actually look at that stuff in the math?
1: I mean, I'll make one other poker analogy, right? Which is like um, when I used to play Limit Hold'em and like um, we just kind of analyze hands on like at two plus two forums, you would spend all your time like debating with people like these very marginal decisions where at GTO you're probably indifferent, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a mixed strategy. I think people like spend far too much time worrying about. My decisions where all the options are good or at least equally good or equally bad right and that's pretty debilitating you know like literally uh i will sometimes like flip a coin on like what i want to get for dinner or something right because i'm like a true you know, lot's of good options in new york city right uh i don't want to have to stress about this and so i think i think on the one hand yeah people like um it's I guess good to have more choices, but people have like these search costs that wind up being debilitating. It might be better just having like a random match over some threshold of quality. Right. If you're on some dating app. There um, has
0: to be, there has to be. Are you just like you, there's there's a point where you just waste your time constantly. I mean, there's all sorts of shitty strategies for dating, especially, uh, especially these days. But I mean, that's like a really tough thing to move. Um, I mean, uh, video games probably too. I don't. Um, I don't know. Go on. Actually, your, your turn to talk.
1: No, I. You know, but uh, yeah, that's part of the look is trying to find uh, little insights from from poker and gambling that have helped to help to shape my thinking. Right? Um, just kind of indifference and how much indifference in competitive strategies is correct and mixed strategies. Like I actually found that to be like a weirdly profound insight in other aspects of life.
0: Um, I want to ask, uh, yeah, before we go, well, a couple things. Do you find that poker and gambling helps you with, like, almost any area of life? Do you do you find... I mean, not necessarily poker, but the whole, like, way of... I mean, it would be great if it is poker, but the whole way of using gambling, do you think it just, like, crosses all these different dimensions? You're saying about um,
1: poker? Yeah, I've been playing a lot of... Uh, live tournaments over the past year and a half. Um, I think poker is quite good for like teaching rigorous thinking if you're studying it seriously. Um, I'm not sure that like that would be as true of like like sports betting, right? Like I think sports betting is interesting. You're like learning about the sport and learning about the of the market and how you get your money down. I don't think there's like as much like general applicability. Um, but even with poker, even like it's Sounds stupid, but just like playing a lot more tournaments, like even like just your ability to make small talk improves, hmm. right? Because you're kind of yeah, sitting I mean, down with like a group of like strangers, more or less, right? Um, I
0: think I and then me, I was pretty bad at that.
1: Yeah, no, and just playing a lot more poker, it's like, oh yeah, actually, and like, and I just have learned that like I'm more observant about things in the corner of my eye, like little facial expressions and behaviors. I think poker's like a healthy thing to do up to a certain point and I think live poker is healthier because there's more human interaction than than online poker but no I, I just find it like a good way to like to kind of give your brain like reps as far as trying to sort through like a difficult analytical problem it can be a crutch too like it's kind of easier to think about oh, how did I misplay the hand on the river than like what's the risk of nuclear war or how am I going to finish my book or what's my next step in my career right those are harder decisions, right? Um, so, yeah. But, well, like, I think it's...
0: I think, you save yourself from nuclear war. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're like, oh, I'm going to play a tournament and not think about this, right? Uh, <laughs> but I, I think poker, I, 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 like, literally do recommend that people, like, learn how to play poker. I think, it, I think it, like, is good for lots of important types of analytical thinking. All
0: right, I hope you're right, because um, I'm uh, exploring this possibility. Uh... And it it seems like there's at least truth to it. I think at least poker helps you find the truth and persevere and uh, have courage of sorts for the right kind of risk-taking.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and and the fact that it's, you know, learning to separate out, um, to not be results-oriented is something that people are, like, very bad at. I mean, part of like, what I'm trying to do with the book is, like, like, there's, like, literally a list of, like, 13 attributes that these people have, and a lot of them are things that you and I might take for granted, like... Like, not being results oriented is something that any good poker player learns pretty early in their career. It's completely antithetical to the way that 99% of people live 99% of their lives, right? People are
0: so (laughs) crazy. I'm just like, why? I just don't understand. It's like the whole world.
1: world. So, trying to to explain that to people as someone who's been kind of, has one foot kind of in the poker and gambling world and one foot outside of it is part of the intent of the book.
0: Well, I really hope you succeed. I really want to support that one. Um, Alright, so, I want to touch on this subject that I don't know if you're interested in or not, but we talked about it before, and it's, as a math guy, do you believe that there's something beyond the math?
1: What do you mean? In, like, poker? Or... (laughs)
0: In anything. I mean, poker's one thing, but it obviously has parallels to other things. Do you believe that there's, like, a universal consciousness, that there's, like, a heart of the cards, that just, like, straight-up miracles happen, and it's like, what just just happened, and that sort of thing?
1: Um, I mean, uh, I I think there are a lot of, like, basic unanswered questions about, like, why does the universe exist, right? How was it created? Why is there something and not nothing? And I don't really have good answers to those. You know, the the nerdy way to think about this is people wonder, are we in some type of simulation (laughs) or what's that mean? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not quite sure where this is going. I mean, I I feel like, um, like any mathematical model is like an approximation. um, And there are questions about how, how, whether models should be elegant. I mean, so if you think about like, I don't know if I'm too much of a detour, uh, I think philosophy is interesting. I'll, I'll put it like that, right? For the I'm like actually talking to like philosophers, who are like, how do we determine like what has the highest expected value for society? Is that the right framework to look at it? Utilitarianism mm-hmm. is kind of a version of this or not, right? And so, like, uh, I think people in general could stand to be more philosophical uh, about life. Um, and in some ways, I think kind of math and philosophy are connected in that you're trying to, like, find the abstract principles behind things instead of instead of just going by kind of ad hoc, like, gut reasoning.
0: Okay, you might have to explain that a little bit. Uh, I want to throw in a couple more thoughts before I run out of time. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I think it's kind of hard for people to be really philosophical. It's like a high bar I like think it's like not exactly everyone's forte but that would be a, probably a great society i guess if everyone
1: was well, just no, I, <laughs> or... say like people who are designing systems of moral philosophy i'm like surprised how similar that is like building like a forecasting model right well, that makes because sense. it requires you to huh yeah because it requires you to be specific about things right and it to handle like um to say okay i need a model we have an nba forecasting model that we forecast 500 nba players right we can't just be oh kevin durant the system fucked up with him let's just make a, our own prediction that overrides the system right you have to like think about general principles that apply across a number of situations It's a little bit of a detour but like but there are like i think philosophy is like kind of very um very adjacent to like mathematics basically
0: I mean, that should make sense. I mean, if you take... I've taken a philosophy class or two. And it looks a lot like math. I mean, it's all... It's like pure logic. Math is logic. Um, I would think uh, a couple thoughts. I would think... um, I would think that, uh, yeah, it should look a little bit like weather in a sense or forecasting something because like dealing with people is dealing with... I mean, people have essentially... They're essentially gambling. There's probabilistic things that people will do and won't do if you do certain things uh if you treat people a certain way they'll they're more likely to respond if you come off arrogant they're gonna become there's a good chance they'll be arrogant back if you're nice there's a good chance they'll be nice back like that sort of thing so I s- presume you know it's like somewhat predictable in this kind of sense
1: yeah I'm not sure I've kind of studied like um You know how to like get along better with people but i'm sure that like if you were rigorous about that 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 would that would do very well right like i'll have some friends who will uh it's something that women understand that men don't right Mm -hmm. um women friends of mine will like very often you hang out and the next day they will send like a text saying hey it was great to hang out i'll see you soon right it's such a minor thing but like women friends of mine do that like male friends like never do that right that would be weird but like it's very affirming and probably very good for helping to build relationships and i bet if you studied it it would have like a hugely high like return to spend five minutes the next day thanking someone for taking the time to spend an evening with you or something like it's probably really a very healthy uh emotional habit
0: this is a tool that you use when you're learning about networking by the way but it like all kind of like it all kind of points in the same direction uh I mean, I don't know if you've noticed the same direction that we're kind of leaning in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I actually did a bit of that myself, but I haven't done it, like, so much with my exact friends. But um, that's an interesting thing uh, that they do that. I, I have noticed that also. Um, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do when you're dating. This is one of the weird communication issues between men and women. Yeah. Um, I mean... Uh, in my view, it all points towards, like, kind of, like, a grand signal of just, like, a universal strategy for how to deal with people on the whole, but that's, like, that's a really, that, that, like, the whole idea of non-zero basically applied to every person, if that makes some kind of sense, um, that's my personal take on it, uh, that's what inspired me to make this podcast, actually, uh, but, yeah,
1: um, No, I mean, if you create more interactions that have (laughs) non-zero-sum effects, right, that I haven't read the book, I don't know if I'm stealing the thesis or misstating the thesis or whatever, right? But yeah, that, uh, you know, that's where progress comes from, Uh, and kind of mathematically, it has to be very beneficial in in the long run.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's where I think, uh, you know, when you get into the spiritual ideas and... um... This this idea of non-zero or logic they actually intersect. Uh, that's a whole another story though. I don't have time, hundred percent for that. But uh, the book non-zero is not exactly about that, but kind of like vaguely insinuates that. Um, I mean, there's other sorts of things that sort of vaguely insinuate that. That's a it's the whole idea is is uh, is is uh, it's a whole another barnyard basically. Cause this gets into like these crazy ideas but basically i believe in the uh in that there's something beyond the math in a sense something um but i don't know it's hard to prove it it just really looks like it's there but you can't prove it because like whatever um uh, wanted to like touch on that just a little bit but one thing i would like to point out is that if you look at like the ancient practices uh and, like, use some, like, math and statistics. It looks like science is coming out more and more with supporting them. Um, and uh, and also, like, the yogic practices, for example, in Buddhism are incredibly logical. Um, almost conspicuously so. Like, even some of the ways that, like, karma works, if you read about it, is more logical than what people do punitively. Um, actually, it's like... But... It's hard to prove. It's all hard to prove. It's That's my personal area of interest. But uh, I wonder if uh, that area, whatever, is is up your alley at all.
1: It probably will be at some point. Uh, maybe thinking more about spiritual practice and things like that. I mean, I think kind of the, the older I get, the less certain I am about a lot of these big picture questions. Um, but I think I probably suffer from that thing we mentioned earlier, which is that I, there are too many things that i can do or am able to do or have to do on a day-to-day basis
0: oh yeah yeah yeah. it's so hard to give
1: myself time to reflect on these
0: yeah issues
1: right and i found out like um during the peak of the lockdowns when i mean certainly i was being pretty careful for for a few months things were shut down in new york right like i was not prepared to have more (laughs) peace and serenity right i kind of was so used to like having this abundance of options and activities that you have in, in New York or in your life. Right. Um, and I wasn't prepared to do anything productive when those were taken away apart from like, go and play online poker, uh, mm-hmm. which is like not the best use of my time. I don't think.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone had that kind of issue. I would think yeah. it was a, the weird, uh, weird, uh, uh, I can't think of the word weird, like transition. Anyway, I don't have any more time. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? It's been great having you and hearing all your thoughts on these things.
1: No, I've I've enjoyed this a lot. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime when the book comes out, maybe.
0: All right, cool. I'm really uh, curious to see your book. Also, cool. I appreciate-, I appreciate it.
1: Have a great time in Korea, and I'll talk to you soon.
0: Oh, and what's the name of your book? Are, are you releasing that yet? So the
1: title is is on the edge but titles sometimes get changed in between the proposal and the, and the publication stage. So we'll see if that survives. No. Oh, okay. All right, cool. All
0: right. Well, great having you on and, uh, uh, you know, we'll talk again.
1: Awesome, man. Take care. All
0: right. See ya.